Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast now in its 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Uh, Good evening. I'm Clarence Boone. And before we get underway, we have a couple of announcements for our listeners. You'll love these. The first is uh, distinguished lecturer Nicole Hannah-Jones. You remember her from the Pulitzer Prize-winning creator uh, creation of the 1619 Project. Well, Thursday, October 20, Thursday, October 20, at 7 p.m. at the IU Auditorium, uh, she will be given a lecture. This is free for students, $25 for faculty, staff, and community. And again, this is at the IU Auditorium, and Nicole Hannah-Jones this coming Thursday, October 20, at 7 p.m. You don't want to miss that. And then also, you don't want to miss on October 30, Liz Mitchell, our very own Liz Mitchell, will be giving the history of African Americans in Monroe County. This is a PowerPoint presentation with a Q&A afterwards. This will take place on Sunday, October 30, at 7 p.m. at the Universalist Unitarian Church otherwise known as the UU Church, right mm-hmm. at Fee Lane and the Bypass here in Monroe County. Again, that's our very own Liz Mitchell on Sunday, 1030, October 30th at 7 p.m. The History of African Americans in Monroe County with a Q&A afterwards and at the Universalist Unitarian Church. And um, having heard a great portion of that, uh, that you, you don't want to miss either one of these. And I'm telling you, this is uh, we're bringing you some great news on that. <laughs> Now, getting back to our show today, uh, after long last and much prodding from our assistant producer, Liz Mitchell, uh, we are initiating an interview, which is long overdue, to have a frank and open dialogue with five, I'm sorry, four black men on the topic of living in the skin I'm in. As blacks, we have lived unique experiences that afforded us the right to talk about this subject. And as black men, they have learned to vent, internalize and develop a sixth sense while in the company of whites and so on. It has been my wish to do something like this for a long time. So thank you, Clarence, that you have finally (laughs) committed to doing this. Well, if I could have my arm back, I'd appreciate it. But anyway, (laughs) remember the talk that you had with your elders. Remember being followed in the store. And finally, let's be clear, not all of our experiences are negative, but there are times and situations that try and define us. Joining us are Liz, and who do we have? We have William Hosea, Alonzo Johnson, Jim Mitchell, and James Saunders. And of course, our very own Clarence Boone. Welcome all of you as we begin this conversation Gentlemen, could you briefly, briefly, please introduce yourselves? I'll start with my prisoner, Jim Mitchell. Hello, I'm Jim Mitchell. <laughs> you need you need to explain that. 
I need to tell everybody why he's my prisoner. And, and why you lock him in the cell? You know, he takes well, I know why. Time. I know why. That's because Jim is domestically incarcerated. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there is no probation for that either. <laughs> okay, Jim. Anything else yet? Now, now, Jim. You know, you have a lengthy, uh, not not to go into everything you've done, but but Jim, you are you are far more. Uh, defined as than just being married to the wonderful Liz Mitchell. So, so why don't you give us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, I'm a retired police officer in Bloomington. I was a United, uh, Indiana State Trooper for seven years. I was sent to Bloomington in 1978. And in 2013, I finished my almost 35 year career. All right. All right, Liz, who else should uh, go next? Uh, William. Uh, Thank you, Liz, and uh, I appreciate you and Clarence uh, putting this program together, but I'm William Hosea. I am a retired uh, veteran, 30 years, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, and up until about um, three or what, four months ago, I was a very active member of uh, the community in Monroe County. Now I'm kicked back here in Myrtle Beach, trying not to get busy. It's not okay, working very well, is it? We're gonna we're gonna go ahead and delete uh, William from this conversation. He's making us all <laughs> jealous. But uh, Liz, who else should we talk with next? James Sanders. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is James Sanders. I'm a native of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I am a task manager in the Energy Systems uh, Battery Test and Evaluations Branch at uh, Naval Surface Warfare Center, where I've been since 2009. And um, I appreciate the invite. I am glad to be here. Thank you, James. Alonzo Johnson. Good evening. I'm Alonzo Johnson Sr. Um, I work for IPS. I'm a PE and health teacher. Uh, I've been coaching football for the last 20 plus years. Um, and I'm married with three young men. All right. Young men, he says. <laughs> okay. We'll start this conversation off, you know, after uh, witnessing some things that my husband has endured, I began to ask, what are other men of color experiencing? I assume that the majority of people in our listening audience have heard of driving while black. But other than that, they probably never thought of other instances where men of color felt uncomfortable. So I thought this talk topic might give our listening audience a glimpse into the skin of a black man. First of all, one of the first questions I ask, can you, each one of you, starting with Jim Mitchell, can you think of an instance where you really felt uncomfortable, let's say in the last five years? Uh, probably, uh, this has probably been about four or five years ago, that's so very close. We were at one of the county restaurants. Um, and soon as you walked in, you could feel just the air kind of get sucked out of the building. And we were in there probably maybe a minute to it the most. And we decided it was time to go. There was nothing ever said to us. There was not, no indication of anything, but it just felt just like you were just walking in space or something somewhere and that it would be better to leave than to stay. 
anything in particular uh, brought this on other than the air been sucked out of the room? Were there, um, you said there was no word said, anything stares or? It, it was more of an indifference than stares to me. It was just like you wasn't going to get anyone's attention to get any help or to seat you or give you any kind of other assistance. That was gone. That wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. William, how about you? Well, in, in the last five years, I, I honestly cannot say that I've been in a situation where I felt uncomfortable. However, uh, situations do arise where, where you notice when something is off. You know, we just kind of, uh, it, it's a way of life. And so we've become, uh, uh, I've come to expect it. So it doesn't necessarily make me uncomfortable. But uh, just recently, you know, we had some, uh, some work done on the house here. Uh, and then we had a, a, a yard sale here uh, a couple of weeks back. And most of the uh, people that came through were white. And what really uh, surprises me is when they want to talk politics. And even though I'm standing here black and so is my wife, they just assume that we buy into this whole uh, Trump MAGA mentality. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll start talking as if uh, I'm going to join in the conversation and, and agree with them. And so we, we know better than to engage uh, them uh, on those issues in certain situations. And so like I had left home at one point and my wife said she, one guy came through at the yard sale we had, she just had to shut him down. He kept wanting to push and have a discussion, but she didn't get sucked into it. So that those, those are my most recent experiences. Okay. Um, what about James? What about you, James Sanders? Well, um, uh, there have been a few times where I've, I felt uncomfortable. Um, I... Uh, I uh, go frequent the Comedy Attic a lot in Bloomington, and we have comedians here, um, and they do a, a, a wonderful job. And you know, uh, you know, they're they're great at their craft and, and everything. But you know, they you know they tell the jokes, and it's like I I kind of feel the the white people uh, laughing more at the racially charged jokes, and it's like, uh, are you laughing because it's funny, or are you laughing because it's true? You know, so that lives in the back of my mind. Um, but uh, a few years ago, I was walking out of Chipotle on uh, Kirkwood downtown, um, and some uh, white person in a red truck, it uh, looked like an 80s model Ford or something to that effect, uh, flew down the street and called me uh, the N-word. And that was uh, very jarring because um, uh, all throughout my time in the South, in Tennessee, where I'm from, I've never been called that Um uh, by a white person, and it uh, I was a full-blown adult, and I really uh, didn't uh, know how to feel about it. Uh, at first, I was just angry, and then uh, I was I was pretty sad about it because um, we think that you know we are uh, above certain things or above experiencing uh, certain things, and uh, those are that was just another harsh reality that we are not the you know in that moment. So. Um, yeah, it, it was, you know, uh, an outlier, I'd like to think, but yes, it, it happened nonetheless. So 
um, that was one of the moments where I really felt uncomfortable. Okay, thank you for sharing that, James. Alonzo? Yes, ma'am. Um, recently, I haven't had anything direct other than the new neighborhood I moved in probably about three years ago. And, uh, you know, a lot of the neighbors, which is all white, they all would walk past and just stare and just, just try to figure out, you know, where we came from to a certain extent. Um, when I am standing out there, they, they're making comments like, uh, you know, that, that that really looks nice, like it's not supposed to. All the comments always is like, uh, that that's really good. Like it's not supposed to, like their, their expectations or their pre-assumptions pre or whatever that it was going to be raggedy. It was going to be nasty. It was going to be, you know, you're going to bring something negative to the neighborhood. And that all the comments kind of all seem like, all right, thank God it, not, it looks pretty good, you know. So that's uh, that, that. those are the things that I'm going through in my neighborhood um, right now all the time. Just people are just wondering, when are you going to mess up? When are you going to do something that they're expecting that it's going to happen? Are you the, the one, first to move in? Or are you the first black to move into the neighborhood? I think I'm the youngest. I was the youngest, more kind of an active, more you know, move, move, moving around, walking around the neighborhood, walking my dog, things like that. It's more of an older, uh, an, uh, older people live there because it's you know they cut your grass, they do all this stuff, so it's a kind of a retirement kind of area. So, okay, yeah, yeah. So it, I mean that's recently, but uh, years ago I, I remember going to Pennsylvania and uh, walking across the street and, and hearing cars skirt, and just, you know, cause I, I was pretty much the only black person in, in the little city that I was in. And it just surprised me so much. It was almost like, it was almost like they saw a ghost. So that, that, that's always stuck to me on how they reacted and, uh, and realizing that, you know, I was probably with the first black person they've been in contact with that close. So. Oh, wow. You stopped traffic. It stopped traffic and people were blowing like, what is going on? Yeah. Oh my, thank you for sharing that. Clarence, you have an experience to share with our listening audience? Uh, let me see, uh, the October experience. Yeah, the October experience I'll share. Um, I, I don't know, it, it, this is sort of a piggyback on James Sanders' uh, comment. He mentioned the truck flying down the street and uh, the, the poetic, uh, you know, uh, words coming out of the window or whatever, but uh, to me, sometimes when I'm driving, and I notice there's something about a pickup truck that transforms ordinary men into superhuman people. And so the truck usually is about 15 feet in the air, <laughs> you know, and, and it could be new or it could be old. But there's something about all of a sudden the, the, uh, the rules of the road you throw out the window, you kind of get up close to the bumper of the car in front of you. And, of course, there's the lean, the look down that you can, you know, the truck allows you now to look down. And it's the posture. It's the vibe you get. And, and in your mind, you're, you're really trying to put certain things out your mind. You're saying, no, they're not going there. I'm not going there. I'm going to where I'm going, whatever. But then you distinctly begin to feel uh, there's sort of a, a chess match going on right now. So I come to a stop sign. They roll a little bit closer than what should be the normal uh, distance from the car in front of you. But I, I usually, uh, somebody's got to take the upper road. Um, 
and 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 I do. And I'm thinking, you know, this is one of the reasons why. And I'll just say this is one of the reasons why um, I I don't go to the extremes that some people I know do as far as uh, self-protection devices in their car or whatever, because you don't know the false sense of security that that may give you. And then you feed into something next, you know, your, your news at 11. And so I just, uh, I'm noticing that dynamic and especially with all the craziness we went through in 2020 uh, and 2016, rather that emboldened a lot of behaviors uh, people, you know, with the flag going down the street, the Confederate flag, or, you know, people staring a little bit longer than what they normally would, as in what is what Jim shared earlier. So, yeah, that would be one instance that I think maybe all the men on this uh, in this interview can relate to. It's the sense that you're kind of being um, tested is the best way to say it. Um, uh, the next question for each one of you would be, um, What's it like for you in an elevator, especially if you're the first one to get into the elevator and you see other whites approaching you? Uh, Do they turn around? Do they get in clutch their purse? What experiences have you gone through just riding in an elevator? Jim, I'll start with you. We were, a number of years ago, we were on a Disney trip that we uh, we're going to go with my sister. And for some reason they couldn't go. And we decided, well, we don't spend the money. We might as well go. So I, I'm in this big, on this big cruise ship, getting a big old elevator, probably holds 20 people. And these three little white kids run in and the mother sees me just standing there, just me. She snatches them back out and waits. They weren't going to enter the elevator with me standing there. And how did that make you feel at that moment? Well, uh, a little bit uncomfortable, but that's pretty much what happened. So, and has that happened to you quite often, or yes, just per- yes, periodically it does. Yeah. And what other incidents has happened with you being in an elevator? Do mm. you feel people that are frightened of you? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. What about you, Clarence? I'll go to you next. Um, the elevator, it's interesting, we have an elevator uh, where I work now, and um, uh, usually the times I use it, I'm the only one using it, but uh, psychologically, maybe it's on my part, I tend not to even want to put myself in that situation, I just don't want to put any, I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, you know, I'm, I'm a large size guy, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat felt, but I'm a, sort of a large guy, you know. And I don't want to put anyone in an awkward situation. Um, you know, I, I, as we probably all have mastered, as we said earlier, we learn to read the vibe of, of other people. And it may not just be with white people, but it may be with women. So I'm, 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 I have a heightened sense about that. And I just would rather not put myself in that situation. It's funny, as we were exploring the other question, um, I, I had a flashback to a movie scene. And you all remember this. Um, it was uh, Cleavon Little in Blazing Saddles, okay? And he's introduced as the sheriff of this town. <laughs> we all just just got, go on demand and just watch that movie tonight. The situations he was in, left and right, it, it was just, it made you laugh at yourself and society. Um, but sometimes it gets that ridiculous, you know? 
and, and that's the part you almost want to just burst out laughing if you weren't so sometimes offended. So, yes. so that was my sort of my elevator, my elevator speech, my elevator ride. Okay, thank you, Clarence. William, how about you? Any elevator experiences? Well, my elevator experience is just a little bit different. I'm going to put a twist on, on this. Uh, I, I'm a very fair-skinned Black man. Probably my skin is a little bit lighter than the average Black person. And so when I step into a crowded elevator full of uh, white folks, they don't perceive me as a threat. However, there have been more than one occasion when I got on the elevator with a dark-skinned friend of mine, and I watched people move from away from the, uh, el the side of the elevator where he's standing to where I'm standing. And that, that was an eye-opener the first time I saw that. It happened uh, down in Florida, which, and after spending time in Florida, I, I labeled that as the most racist state that I've ever uh, uh, visited. And it's being borne out these days when you look at the politics down there and how all the uh, white supremacist groups are forming uh, gathering down there. But one reason that I, another reason that I say that is that Florida is a retirement state full of older white folks who carry those, uh, those biases and prejudices against people of color. But, um, so that that was my elevator experience, other than some elevators being painfully slow to move up and down, you know. <laughs> Thank you, William. Alonzo, have you had any uh, elevator experiences? Well, I'm a I'm gonna go back some years. Okay. Uh, you guys know that I, I my uh, first wife was white, and uh, we we used to get in the we used to be in the elevator, and this, it used to be crazy because they would uh, we'd be in the elevator already, and some white folks would come and get ready to get on the elevator, and they would get on the elevator, and they would almost like. They would, I mean, you can almost hear them saying, are you okay on the elevator with this black man? You know, <laughs> you can see, I mean, you can see that I will be on there with her. You can see that the, they, they want to ask, are you okay? Is he keeping you hostage? Or, I mean, or, I mean, and that's the, that's the way they're looking. That's the way they always, cause she was blonde hair, blue eyes, you know? So that's yeah. the way they were looking like, oh man, he, he has to be forcing her to be on this elevator with him. So I got I, I experienced that a lot. That elevation elevator experience was 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 crazy for me in those years that I was with her. Um, and you know, uh, just like everybody else, all the men, it, it's uh, when you're on the elevator. I've I've had folks many a times that open the elevator up and they just say, "Oh, go ahead, go ahead," and I'll be the only one on the elevator, like it's full. <laughs> I mean, it's like, "Go ahead," <laughs> I'm the only one on here, so. Uh, I've had that experience, and uh, and and this and this is again like the last brother was saying. It sometimes it's just funny. You just you just chuckle because you know it's 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 funny how people react to the skin, your skin color. It's funny how they react. Well, thank you for sharing that with me, uh, James Sanders. What about your elevator experiences? Um, uh, I haven't really had any. Uh... Any notable elevator experiences? I uh, I recognize when when some people kind of wanna wanna shy away or or something to that effect. But I try to you know just keep my keep a safe distance and and you know 
be cognizant of, of the people who are joining me on the elevator because I, you never know what people are going to say or do. So I kind of just uh, move with that knowledge of, you know, people are going to, you know, one, notice you, and then two, you know, have their implicit or explicit biases. So I kind of just uh, uh, keep a, a, a cool head and, and uh, keep my blinders on. So, but, you know, you do notice some, some microaggressions here and there. Okay, thank you. It, it seems to me from listening to you guys that every day you have to, to remember or either in some form or fashion, you're told to remember the color of your skin. Um, and, and the next question I had, even before William had mentioned this, um, the color of your skin. Are dark brothers treated differently than light-skinned brothers? Jim Mitchell? I would say most definitely, because I've had a number of people in the States and also overseas ask me repeatedly what I was. And I usually tell them I don't know. And if they would find out, they could please tell me. But being that I'm more fair and maybe have this big old beard or something, uh, they're kind of perplexed if I'm black, green, purple, orange. I really don't know. But it's, it's been an interesting topic that has gone on and on and on over the years. So you feel that these people, they want to put you in a box, but they don't know what box to put you in. That's correct. Yeah. They want me in a box, but don't know where to put me. So do you think that there's a fear toward you as it would be toward a darker skinned brother? No, I think my, in some cases, I think my, is just what I feel is more of a curiosity in, in, in those cases. But the fear, I think, factor is still there to a degree, but it's just more of a curiosity at that point. Because you've definitely been told people are afraid of you. Right. Yeah. And have they explained why they're afraid? What have you done? Well, one lady told me that she was afraid of me for years because my hair was gray. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. And no other explanation? No, just that my hair was gray. Okay. Clarence Boone, what about you? You think dark-skinned brothers are treated differently than lighter-skinned brothers? Absolutely. And I'm going to start an organization to counteract that. <laughs> You gonna call and, it Boone's Boys? Boone's Boys or something? Um, and and you know, Liz, a couple of days ago we talked about that very thing in our community as far as we treat each other, let alone you know other races, but we treat each other, and I know we do. And 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 then I'm gonna take it a step further. My wife's not home right now, but women treat each other differently. Um, some there used to be stories that abound, and my mother is a member of a uh, of a uh, sorority. And um, and then I had heard stories in, in some sororities, they had what they call the brown bag test. That if you were lighter than the brown bag, you were welcome. But if you were darker, that you kind of didn't get through the, uh, the, uh, the, the invitation process or something. So, I mean, it, and, and, and it didn't stop there. I mean, it just goes on and on. And really women, I think, are, they are very perceptive, you know, hairstyle, color, skin color and all that. Now, as far as other races, yeah, I think, yeah, without question, I think darker men come off as more uh, foreboding or, or just, um, you know, you, you look at, um, unless you're a professional athlete that, that's real popular, yeah, you, you probably would get certain looks and people will go the other way. So, yeah, it does exist. It does. Um, but it's, 
it's and it's not I, I think we sometimes subconsciously react to that as opposed to we're actively conscious that we are doing this but it's like our subconscious fears take over and people do things that they they really don't want to do okay well thank you very much Clarence, one statement that, that's been on my mind uh, since I'm really into African-American history, my love of that, is that all the laws that have been passed over the decades, centuries, can er eradicate the fear that has been instilled in a few people and based on the color of your skin. And so, William, what about you? You think that's true and that also, the darker skinned brothers are treated differently. You mentioned the elevator issue with your friend, how some whites step closer to you because of your fair, con fair complexion. Any uh, other instances? Oh, yeah, yeah. The answer is a resounding yes. Uh, I've, I've come to realize in my lifetime that uh, because of the shade of my blackness, that I'm not necessarily perceived as a threat compared to some uh, to Clarence, unless I'm with a group of other black men. But by myself, no. And let, let me tell you how, how silly it actually gets. I remember uh, one time when I was, I was in the military, one of my white coworkers, uh, knowing that I'm a black man, he knew that, but he felt comfortable enough to come to me and to make some suggestive racial remarks about another dark-skinned coworker of mine. And uh, once again, going back to Florida, we went to a restaurant and uh, I was with a dark skinned female friend of mine. And do you know, they came and took my order and ignored her. Why? I don't know. And then uh, one, one more example. We were out on a local cruise ship out of Florida one time. And there was this elderly couple, a white man and a white woman it had been in, in the 80s. The wife was like the life of the party. And I'm sitting down next to the husband and we'd been conversing and laughing for a while. And this guy felt comfortable enough to start telling me an N-word joke. And two N-words walked into the bar. You know, that's how he started off. Oh my. Oh, and that was okay. So he thought. He didn't think it after that night though. I, I was gonna say he had to be crazy. Cray cray. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Jane Sanders, do you feel that dark-complected Black men are treated differently than light-complected Black men? I definitely do. I think they are treated differently amongst um, uh, other races and ourselves, um, to uh, Clarence's point. Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen the, you know, the Karen videos, uh, for lack of a better term, where uh, a white woman or or any white person who calls the police, you'll hear them um, be very descriptive. And uh, amongst those descriptions, uh, you will hear a big black dark man. You know, that's not the first time that that we've heard that. We just saw that with uh, in the Ter Terrell Owens situation, where he uh, obviously is in a a very affluent um, subdivision, walking to get his mail at night. And someone who didn't recognize him came and called the police and said, there's this big, dark black man, uh, you know, here and I don't recognize him. The police came and, uh, of course, they had to talk on, uh, talk the, the, the lady down because he, you know, he was a resident of that community. But, um, yeah, we, we see that, you know, all the time and we are dealt with um, 
by you know our the gradient you know of, of melanin in our skin so um it's it's just you know been a thing to me you know in in, in my years of living that you know the lighter you are you know maybe the easier you know your life is or uh people detach you more and more from your blackness so um i think we see that um across the board just you know dealing with, with people in general um you hear i hear it all the time on the dating scene um which i'm i'm not on by the way uh, but uh you hear that on the dating scene where you know uh, a woman may prefer uh a man with lighter skin but then you hear on inversely where you know you have uh women who want men with darker skin uh i do know it's a it's a uh, thing with with our black women that you know the dark the more dark-skinned women feel that they are not sought after um more like uh you know the the light-skinned women so uh it's not only an issue for you know black men it, it's it's also an issue for black women you know and i know we're talking to black men about black men but i couldn't uh i'd be remiss if i left that that part out over thank you john james uh william you have a comment to make and then clarence will do an id yeah, I just wanted to say that those experiences that I mentioned and others, uh, sometimes they make me feel like uh, I really hate the fact that hundreds of years ago in, in, in the uh, USA, that some white guy raped one of my ancestors so that generations later, I look more like him than I do my own people. I hate that. Very interesting. Clarence, you want to do an ID, please? On that note, um, uh, the voice you just heard was William Hosea. And um, we've also, we also have Alonzo Johnson with us. We have Jim Mitchell and James Sanders. And of course, myself and Liz Mitchell, who is uh, moderating this uh, discussion with black men on the, the topic of the li living in the skin I'm in. Um, yeah, this is a long overdue conversation and it's sometimes one of those taboo conversations. Uh, you don't hear a lot about it. It's, it's, it tends to not at times be an easy conversation because you have to admit that, uh, yeah, I agree with you that some of these nuanced stuff, uh, things are going on. Um, it's interesting William, your last remark, and, and that's ringing in my head, my head right now, that, uh, the reason why I am light complected is that generations ago, this happened. Now, I will say, Liz, you and I did a show where this may be the result of, of maybe a love connection generations ago. So um, is it not maybe uh, a foregone conclusion that this is why that happened? It might very well be uh, two people fell in love. And but then again, we know America. We know our history. Yeah. And um, we know what's the new word? What is it? A uh, critical race theory, which I am really trying to figure out the origins of that. But uh, yeah, we're at that time where we need to reconstruct and, and reframe history, which is the craziest thing that, that is going on. Um, but anyway, that's uh, thank you all for joining us today. This could easily be a two-parter because time is flying. But uh, I, I we'll think it should, it. It, it should be a two-parter. It should be a two-parter. Yes, yes. Hey, um, hey Clarence, can, uh -huh. can I say something? I, I knew you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I have researched my family history extensively, and okay. I know yes, where the yes. first intersection took place. Okay. And, and it was not a love connection. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now, there have been some since that. then, but that first one, no. Okay. Don't count. Yeah. 
and, and it's interesting you brought that up because there are quite a few of us, uh, we're labeled African-American. Um, I know in my family, I'm here because of a slave owner and a slave on both sides of my family. And it's like, what do you do with that information? And, you know, we're labeled African-American. And if anyone has delved into their history, they will know that that doesn't define you. You know, I'm, I'm British, I'm Irish, I'm a little bit just found out German. So, you know, but we are defined because somebody made these rules up. Well, and we know who that somebody was, Thomas Jefferson, that one drop rule, and it defines you who you are and look how many centuries have gone by and we're still defined by that. Same thing with Jim and his family. And that's why some of the, and if it happens on both sides of the family, then you're really fair. And that's why people want to put my husband in a box because they, by him being so fair, they got to figure out, well, just what are you? And not answering the question, um, I, I'm standing there watching and it appears some people are upset. And I could just see it, it's like, boy, I've asked you a question and you're not answering me because he never answers that question. I want to go to Alonzo Johnson and well, ask him the same question because I didn't get do, to him. Before you do, if yes. I could, your last statement, boy, I asked you a question. I, that's what I'm seeing when I see your, right. when we travel, that's what I see when I, when they asked him that question. Have any others in this conversation had a uh, boy, I'm talking to you moment, or do you hear me? You know, as if that uh, throwback to a time when we walked on the other side of the street or uh, you were seen but not heard or that, that nuance, that severe, uh, that place they took you to demean you, to dehumanize, demean the whole thing while we're having these exchanges, I really want to touch on that. Has that happened to somebody? And if they're willing to talk about it. Let's ask Alonzo. He hasn't had a chance to speak in a minute. Alonzo? Yes, ma'am. Um, first, I want to talk about the the, uh, the black, the dark skin, the light skin. I'm, I'm in, the, in between, so it really didn't affect me that much. But uh, uh, there's pros and cons I know I've, I've heard about and I, I know people have went through. Uh, and one particular is my son. Uh, because he, he, you know, his mom is white. Um, he went to a school here in Indianapolis uh, on the South side. And he had a, a, another friend There was only a few black students at the school. And he had another friend that was dark skinned. And Lonzo Jr. did not have problems hanging out with his, with, with the white friends. He didn't have, I think he told me he never was called the N word or whatever, but the dark skinned kid, he was always fighting to try to get, be a part of their little group. Always fighting. Lots of you always tell me, yeah, they, they kind of just, they kind of rough up with him and this and that. So you can definitely tell Lonzo being light-skinned and him being dark-skinned that he they were treated so much different. And then at the same time, he he worked so hard to be a part of whatever they wanted to be a part of. So that, that is the experience that I've had had recently within the last four years of how young people are still going through so much because of the color of their skin. Yes, yes. And could you answer the question that Clarence uh, just recently brought up? Um, 
Clarence, can you repeat that real fast? I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, as far as having encounters, you know, in our introduction, we talked about having to develop this yes. sense of um, uh, how to carry oneself in the presence of, of white people. Yes. Um, and, and, and as we develop that, not that we, by no stretch of the imagination, are we compromising or are we catering to, but we are aware of. And uh, have you had a situation where someone wants to take you back to a time when it was basically, you know, make you step and fetch it? Um, and so how did you respond? And then you knew within yourself that they're communicating this to me. And, and how did you respond? Well, I, uh, Liz and them, they know I, I deal with a, a group of folks that are, that, uh, the status is pretty high. And, uh, for maybe five or 10 years, I would have a, a fundraiser with this particular group of folks. And, uh, the questions that they would ask, you know, and they would be so, you, you are, you are a great speaker. You, they would come to me almost, uh, like you're not like the rest of them. And the comments that they made were was like that a lot. But one particular man came up to me and said, you really don't know how much this particular person uh, is worth. Is that the reason why you kind of is that the reason why you talk, you know, like he's your friend or whatever? He, you know, this guy is worth so much. You really shouldn't be going to him like you're so comfortable. And that's the way I've always been. I go out there and I, I'm not really trying to portray a certain way, a certain level. I go and speak my mind and speak the way that I was I was raised. But that particular person came to me like to the point like you need to go ahead and respect him a little bit more because his status and because how much more he worth, he's worth. And I was I, I really uh, took uh, I was offended about that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. How about you, William? You know, you're talking about Clarence's question, right? Yes. For me, those types of uh, situations are kind of hard to decipher. It's, it's like, a, it's, it's a gray area. I can definitely say some could fit into that mold. Some maybe didn't fit into that. But um, in either case, whether it's based on race or not, my response is still the same. Don't come at me like that. You know, I'm not your boy. I'm not a boy. Right. Yeah. Uh, William, uh, I want to go a step further. You, you have um, military experience, which meant you had um, training camp experience. And, and I guess, and, you know, they're, they're making and shaping and molding all these different individuals to be uniform in more than one way, you know, one, uh, more ways than one. Did you ever pick up that? attention to you and shaping and making and molding you was that sort of went there to kind of mold your psyche a little bit more than than maybe what the norm should have been and so i understand too that you that you were a drill instructor of, of, of some uh, of some degree or you were a trainer or something too so i mean you, i was you, a drill instructor so here's my know. experience in boot camp i honestly didn't see any of that and uh, when I later went on in the, uh, in the Marine Corps to become a drill instructor and train recruits, I just didn't have time to see any of that. Uh, uh, it was so intense. The pace, the training was so intense. It was uh, really difficult to, to kind of know if anybody was doing that or not, because you got you know, upwards of 80 young men standing in front of you 
except for the shade of their skin, they all look the same. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that separates them. Same uniform, same haircut. Everybody did the exact same thing every day in every scenario. And so th th that was the one place I can honestly say I, I, I didn't see any of it in practice. I knew some of my, some of the drill instructors had certain views, but uh, it was just too open and too transparent. Mm -hmm. and, and again, too intense for them to focus on that. Mm -hmm. What about you, uh, James Sanders, and answering um, Clarence Boone's question? Uh, yes, I've, I've definitely experienced situations where um, uh, either uh, implicitly or explicitly I was, uh, I felt, uh, was made to feel inferior rather. Um, I, I remember being in a, a meeting um, about model based systems engineering. Um, it was kind of like an all day meeting and um, I was the only uh, black person in the room, you know, as I often am uh, in these types of meetings or, or settings. And my boss uh, leaned over to me before uh, an hour before lunch and said, hey, would you mind running to get the group some sandwiches from Subway? And um, I, I just remember kind of like uh, blacking out for like 10 seconds. And I was like, absolutely not, because um, it took everything in me really to, to not uh, kind of lash out in a, in a more demonstrative way. But um, I don't think he was aware of the of the you know the kind of message that that sends me in the kind of culture, you know that um, you know that that kind of implies for uh, our you know our base. Um, it was just it was just weird and, and awkward and infuriating that that my manager didn't know that no you don't ask the only black man in the room to get sandwiches for a group of white people especially. Uh, a group of my peers and it, it just really caught me off guard and and it made me furious and I didn't know how to um really approach that afterwards so I kind of just uh not erased it from my memory but it kept it as a mental note of you know these are the people that I'm dealing with um and and really trying to decipher did he really you know mean to to try to intimidate me or was it on purpose or um you know, something else, but uh, it was definitely something that I uh, put a ton of thought into that he probably just, you know, uh, you know, didn't think about it and went on about his day, you know, but um, I didn't have a conversation with him afterwards. I don't know if he understood, uh, you know, what he was asking, but um, I, it definitely uh, was eye-opening for me uh, in realizing that, you know, people will <laughs> continue to, you know, treat you you know, a certain way, uh, and especially if you don't speak up. And so uh, my regret in that situation is I didn't uh, kind of speak my mind. I just kind of let it let it skirt on by. Uh, but, you know, in the future, I am cognizant of, you know, those type of situations that, you know, could happen or arise. And uh, I feel like I'm more equipped to deal with them. Okay, thank you very much. All of us um, have heard of this talk and I bet our listening audience is probably curious about what is the talk and how do you have the talk? Have your parents had the talk with you? Do you have that talk with your children? Let's start with Jim Mitchell about the talk. Yes, I did have the talk a number of years ago. And then all the principals 
that I tried to teach our son, I threw it out the window when I got stopped. I did all the bad things in the world that you could do. But luckily it was a trooper that knew me and just kind of laughed and let me go. But all the cardinal rules that I taught my son, I blew. Didn't get even close to getting any of them right. And those rules were? Your hands, they can be seen preferably on the steering wheel. Uh, be as courteous, courteous as you possibly can. Don't go fumbling around in the glove box of the console. You know, just be a perfect gentleman. And I was none of those things. And that's part of the talk or all of the talk? That's the, the big gist of the talk. Okay. What about you, Clarence? I know you have daughters. Do you give your daughters a talk? <laughs> uh, you know, I was thinking about that not too long ago. At some point, we're going to have to have a talk. Not not just about surviving pullovers or encounters, but um, um, why not to talk to boys until you're 25 or 30, you know? It's, <laughs> But uh, no, we have not. We actually have not had that talk yet. And my, my wife and I have had the talk about how to have the talk uh, with them. And when that time comes, I will probably call Jim Mitchell or something to get some advice. <laughs> but uh, that days are coming. Now, as far as me, uh, I'm from Gary, Indiana. And uh, not only did I have the talk with my parents, I had the talk with my relatives. I had the talk with teachers in our fine academic uh, school system up there. Uh, I had to talk with coaches who coached me football, wrestling, or track. Um, I had to talk with barbers who cut my hair. Um, the whole city galvanized around, at least back then. Now, it's unfortunately, things are a little different. But, um, yeah, the talk was almost weekly when I was coming along. Yeah, yeah. And William Hosea? Had the talk, still have the talk, will continue to have the talk because uh, uh, it, it has to stay current and updated. And yes, I have the talk with my daughters because they have been stopped uh, by cops for no good reason. Sandra Bland was stopped for no good reason. And one, one thing that I tell, uh, especially uh, when, when you realize you're being stopped, hit that record button. Before you do anything, hit the record button on your phone. Know your rights. Don't make any threat. And then everything that Jim says come, comes after that. But for me, I always say the hell with a dog. Black man's best friend is a cell phone. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you, William. Alonzo, how about you and the talk? I know you've had the talk and you've given your son the talk. Let's hear your version. Yes, ma'am. I'm just like uh, like Clarence said, uh, the community when I was growing up, everybody was giving the talk. Everybody was trying to prepare each other for uh, some kind of an incident. Uh, my son being, again, uh, light skinned and, and on the south side of Indianapolis had to have the talk and have the talk frequently and uh, going to uh, a school in Terre Haute had to, had to talk again and 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 I figuring out the areas in Terry Hole, making sure he knew where he was, he needed to go and where he shouldn't go. So the talk was always get, got more extensive depending on uh, the area that that he would be in. But uh, like like the last gentleman said, continuing to try to figure out what the talk is and and uh, prepare yourself for the future because uh, it does change. Thank you, Alonzo. James Sanders. Um, I've definitely had the talk and I've uh, given the talk. 
Um, one thing I'd like to, uh, to, to talk about specifically was uh, when I was in high school, my grandmother um, would always tell me, you know, you can always be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I always thought, well, you know, I, you know, that's not going to happen to me because, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not going to commit any crimes or anything. But um, there was this one instance where uh, it was the last day of school. I think I was a senior and I was, uh, you know, the, the last day of school, a lot of kids skip because there's just nothing to do. But I actually went to school and had my backpack and everything. I was ready. I did the full day um, and I was walking home. Uh, and right in front of the school, there were a bunch of a uh, bunch of my classmates who hadn't gone to school that day um, came came to school to fight some some kids that they didn't like. Um, and so uh, as they were rolling up, they were kind of in the vicinity that I was walking in and policemen rolled up there were about three or four police cars and they made everyone in the vicinity get um, put their hands on the car, get searched and everything. And they and they said we're taking you all in. And I was like, I'm just leaving school, right? And so um, what happened was uh, uh, the school policeman came out to the situation and he uh, was like, that young gentleman was actually in school. He had nothing to do with it and they let me go. But at that moment, um, my grandmother's words flashed back saying, you can be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know, I've always held fast to that. So. Uh, I think uh, that just, you know, that was a, a very important learning lesson for me in, in learning how to carry myself and learning how to kind of keep my distance from uh, from even what, it, what even appears to be trouble. You know, in the Bible somewhere it says, um, you know, uh, stray away from the very appearance of, of evil. So um, I kind of try to do that. But then, you know, you know, we as Black men experience, even when you do those things, you know, you st something still is still going to catch you off guard. Something is still going to be laying in wait to to you know for your destruction. So it's just a, an everyday thing where you know you're constantly reminding yourself of, of how things are, no matter how good or you know past things we may seem to be uh, at any given moment in time. You know something horrible could happen. You know, and you have to be equipped. You know, mentally. You know, for those situations to occur. Okay. Thank you. Um, we have time just for one more question, and this is a yes or no question, because we're running out of time. Have you been used to frighten children? Have white people used you to frighten their kids or to try to get them in line? Jim Mitchell? Yes, they have. Clarence Boone? Oh, I bust out laughing. Yes, I have. I almost went off on the mother that tried that, but I, yes, I have. William Hosea? Pass. Pass. <laughs> James <laughs> James Sanders. Um, not to my memory, no. Okay, Alonzo Johnson. Yes, I have. You have. Yes, I have. Now, listening audience, you've heard that. How sad that is to use a black man to discipline your kids. We want to thank William Hosea, Alonzo Johnson, Jim Mitchell. James Sanders for joining us for our conversation entitled Living in the Skin I'm In, a conversation with Black men. Clarence? I'll say I'll take some executive producer privilege and say that uh, we have talked for the last hour about some of the um, more negative, I would say, 
uh, experiences. Uh, I want to devote a whole hour in speaking about the triumphs and, and the good things of being in the skin that I'm in and that we're all in. So I just want to throw that out that I want to do a part two to this with the same group of individuals. Uh, Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bringing On's executive producer is Clarence Boone, the one and only. Our assistant producer, that's me, Liz Mitchell. Show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Charlotte. I always tear her name up. Chantal Lafontant. Did I come close to it? <laughs> Original theme music was created by Jamal Ephraim with additional background check tracks, excuse me, by David Baker. For WHB, I'm Liz Mitchell. And thankfully, Chantal, I know she's laughing when she edits this. Yes. And, and, and she, her heart meant no harm, Chantal. Um, I'm Clarence Boone, and thank you, Liz, for saying that I'm so great I get free parking, but uh, unfortunately I don't. Again, just real quickly, if I can do this in 15 seconds. Uh, yes. This Thursday, Nicole Hannah-Jones, Thursday, October 20, 7 p.m. at IU Auditorium, Pulitzer Prize-winning creator of the 1619 Project. And prices is, is free for students of IU, $25 for faculty, staff, and community. And our very own Liz Mitchell, who, who admirably um, was the moderator tonight, will have a PowerPoint presentation on the history of African Americans in Monroe County and with a Q&A to follow. And that will be Sunday, October 30, uh, at 7 o'clock at the Universalist Unitarian Church at Fee Lane and the Bypass here in Bloomington. Thank you for tuning in, and as always, be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.